0: The Incomparable, number 489, November 2019.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and this is another edition of what we like to call Old Movie Club. We're going to go back to 1962, but we're really going to go back to the First World War because we are going to be talking about the David Lean's epic so much sand oh so much sand it's lawrence of arabia now joining me to talk about this considered one of the great films of all time yeah that's right i said it uh, but other people considered it i just repeated what they thought uh are these for following wonderful people dan morin is here
2: hello hi jason i apparently picked this i think for the film festival episode in 2012 <laughs> wow That was a long time ago.
1: There was a lengthy intermission. There was a lengthy intermission. (laughs) There was a lot of time. Erica Ensign is also here. Hello.
0: Hey Jason, my name is for my friends And that's you guys
1: <laughs> By the way, Erica, having now spoken That is one more female speaking part in this episode Than is in Lawrence of Arabia
0: <laughs> That is true, I am here to represent uh, That woman's hand that you see Sticking out of a tent And the pan across the few women that we get At that other scene mm-hmm. And all the ulating women I will not be doing that on this podcast No, okay. No, no, no. no.
1: okay, well that's fine That's fine um, Moises Chuyan is here, hello
3: Let's all ululate and have a good time <laughs>
1: Sounds about right, and uh, of course you've you've already heard him. Uh, who wouldn't be old movie club without Philip Michaels?
2: Hello,
4: well, Jason, I think that uh, uh, Billy Joel said it best when he said "Lawrence of Arabia," British Beatlemania.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Old Miss John Glenn.
1: It's uh, y- yes, I think he did say it best. In fact, I give up. Goodbye, everybody. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so lawrence of arabia uh i didn't actually phil phil often uh conspires with me to pick the old movie club movies and in this time i basically said phil we're gonna do lawrence of arabia though, though, to
4: be fair oftentimes i i send you a list and yes. there's usually lawrence of arabia down there lonely by itself
1: saying "Pick right. me pick me well and you like to pair movies together and i said we will not we'll be pairing part one oh, with part no. two yes <laughs> This is a very long film, and as it gets uh, sort of like uh, directors cut it and and uh, and restored and all of that, it just keeps getting longer. Like the they keep like flattening the film out and stretching it out, and it just gets longer and longer. It's a very long movie, or as Wikipedia says, the running time: one hundred and eighty or two hundred and twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, take your pick. Whoa. Uh, no, don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Uh, it is a, a great movie, and I wanted to go around and before we we started talking about. Well, first, Phil, do you have an opening statement? Just off the chance that you do, I thought I should go there first.
4: In soccer, there's the there's the saying um, it's a it's a game of two halves. Where uh, and and I think um, Lawrence of Arabia is a movie of two halves, and and I I, I look forward to hearing um, people's. Uh, opinions about both movies that are oh, airing, uh, airing today. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it, I, I, I enjoy this movie a lot. Watching it as often as I have, you, 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 you do see some flaws. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's the the greatest movie ever made. I think there are, there, there are better movies out there. It, it is, um, david lean's greatest movie and it's definitely worth watching if you haven't seen it and if you haven't seen it try and see it on the biggest screen that you possibly can um because uh while tvs have gotten bigger and wider and uh and uh uh, can capture the full uh spectrum that david lean is shooting boy do they they use every inch of that screen in this movie
1: yep every grain of sand in the desert you can see although i will say this is so I, i want to talk about everybody's kind of Past relationship with this movie, but I'm gonna start because I want to say that this time is actually the best looking. I've seen this since I first saw this movie. I saw the um freshly restored in 1989 70 millimeter version, the first big restoration re-release of this movie. I had some friends who are huge movie fans who said they're re-releasing Lawrence of Arabia, you've never seen it, we should go see it. And we saw it at a theater in San Diego and it was uh, 70 millimeter and it was spectacular. Since then, I've only ever seen it, uh, and it's been a while since I've seen it because this will reveal that, I've only ever seen it on home video on VHS, on a standard FTV, (sighs) which let me me tell you, uh, at least I could think of what it was like when I saw it in 70 millimeter to tide me over. But this time I watched it in 4K HDR on a 65-inch TV, and you know what?
2: It's Dang. pretty good. Pretty good. Jason, did you watch it on one of those uh, CRTs that was like nine inches with a VCR built in? Because that's really the only way to the, see it's it. It's
1: as David Lean uh, intended. But anyway, <laughs> what I'm saying is that this was actually uh, the first home home theater experience of Lawrence of Arabia, where I felt like uh, it was conveying... Uh, even a little bit of the majesty of what David Lean was trying to convey. Um, But I'm glad that the first time I saw it was in 70 millimeter. And I definitely encourage if you get a chance to see this movie on the big screen, you should do so. But our technology has come far enough now that you might be able to get a glimmer of it on your TV at home, uh, which you couldn't get with the two cassette (laughs) VHS release that I own. That's what you think, Jason. a, A while Uh, Okay, let's talk about everybody else's uh, past experiences with this. And Erica, why don't you go?
0: Yeah, I feel sorry for all of you who don't have the imagination to make it work on a small screen. Those pixels are like grains of sand. (laughs) The first time I saw this movie was on a 19 inch uh, television and I was sort of sitting across the room. I wasn't like right in front of it. And it was on VHS. It was like the I think the 30th anniversary VHS edition, which I had rented from the video store in Madison Two tapes, two tapes. Yep. Yep, And yeah, it was, you know, it was the widescreen version. So it was a teeny tiny little strip across the center of my 19 inch screen. And within 10 minutes, it did not matter. I was lost in that movie. It was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. And I didn't care that it was like, you know, the size of a Band-Aid across the room. I just thought I I was just swept up in this thing so much that it instantly became tied for my favorite movie of all time and still is. So, uh, yeah, I have. Since gotten to see it, I saw it on a, a larger television uh later on, and then I think it was like six or seven years ago they had they were showing it in the theaters again in Madison, so I was able to go and see it on the big screen at that time, and that was great. But you know what? It wasn't as great as the first time that I saw it on that tiny little screen because just the amazing majesty of that film, uh getting to see it for the first time, I think, is an experience that that uh, swept you away. No screen, yeah, no screen can can compare. Mm. Um, so this time I just this time I watched it on the the Netflix version on our very large television screen and it did look really great and nice. I did very much enjoy it. And I can't wait until the next chance I get to see it uh, in the movie theater on the, the big, big screen. But uh, but I say if you can't see it on a big screen, that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch it uh, if if you if you have a good imagination.
1: Yeah. And also the technology at this point, you're going to get a much, it's not going to be a 17 inch VHS splutter box copy. So hopefully, so don't don't, don't
4: watch it on an iPhone though. That would be my one piece of advice. (laughs) to You You
1: know, I used to keep citizen Kane synced on my iPod (laughs) and I thought this is wrong. And yet I like that it's here. (laughs) Um, Moises, what about you? What's your personal history with this?
3: Uh, It's, it's very intertwined in the whole home video obsessive thing that I guess is, is part of my whole brand Mm -hmm. as it were um my first experience with it was on a was was on a widescreen formatted vhs and that was on like a 19 inch tv set and oh boy uh did i want to see this thing on dvd in proper widescreen the instant that it came out on dvd Um, my mom introduced me to it she loved this movie loved dr jivago had a whole David Lean thing going. Um, and, uh, and I found it magnificent and majestic and brilliant. And, uh, and, and, it, you know, I was, I was the kid who liked four hour movies, I guess. I've owned it in every home video format that it's been released in since home video, other than beta, I guess. <laughs> um, I had the DVD, I had the Blu-ray, I've got the oversized Blu-ray limited edition thing that has all manner of tchotchkes. I've never looked at in it. um, and I, I watched it um, this time streaming uh, through Apple TV on my 4K TV. Uh, and I've got a bit of a bone to pick with Sony Columbia. And it is that they have no plans to release this on 4K Blu-ray. Mm. They're just mm. making the 4K streaming version available. Now, uh, different people will have different experiences with streaming fidelity and quality and artifacting and that kind of thing and this is one of those movies like 2001 that y- y- you kind of the the people who really love this movie want to be able to have a physical copy of it that is not reliant on their fiber optic node yeah. being it's money to be capacity.
1: made releasing a, a 4K blu-ray yeah. of it so yeah let's hope um, they do I that watch, i watch
3: i watch the well uh, they they currently have no plans so i guess you know light the torches and and mm-hmm. sharpen the pitchforks um I I watch this movie once a year. Uh, I try to make sure that at least every other year I see it in 70 millimeter. Austin's a great town to see things projected on film. Uh, And most cities that have like a summer film repertory series uh, will, will have Lawrence of Arabia in 70 millimeter. If you've got a theater that does that and, and a lot of major U S cities have that capacity. So seek it out. If you have not seen it that way, that's for me, For me, the best way um, to have seen it, not necessarily the first time, but just seeing it that way. There's really absolutely nothing like it. Yeah,
1: it's a great experience and you get the uh, full on overture and intermission. And I remember I still remember going... Out of the theater at intermission, and you know, getting a getting a soda and standing in the lobby, and then going back in. I was it was an afternoon in San Diego by Interstate Eight. It was not like romantic yeah. movie theater uh, experience <laughs> in any way, but it was still a nice experience to have gone
3: through the whole like, oh, there's an intermission. Let's go. Yeah, out I just to the went lobby.
0: to the kitchen and made popcorn yeah, <laughs> during <laughs> the music. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> I, I, I found I found that the intermission provides a wonderful opportunity to get an alcoholic beverage of your choice uh to get through the second uh portion of the film <laughs> yeah yeah well if i'd known one was coming that would have probably been a good idea um the 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 one thing that i've found has has really grown in my relationship with the movie over the years and jason uh pre- prepare yourself for all of the angry uh letters is I, I think i have a controversial very firmly held belief about this movie. Lawrence of Arabia is a Western. It's a Western. It's a Western. And and I am not one of these people who who holds the Western genre to the formalism of it has to be guys talking like this, you know, with cowboy hats and and so on. But you have you have a noble, savage, uh, native uh, people in the way that they're depicted. You have uh, Westerners, uh, you know, addressing a frontier. Um, and yes the movie's made by an englishman uh with uh, with a predominantly uh englishman cast uh but there there are elements of the western form that are interwoven into this where people think of western as just specifically defined by the american west and yes the american west really owns most of the real estate in in the realm of the western but as as i'm sure we will get into there are issues of colonialism and empire and Uh, What you do with the frontier once you have won it that are that are completely interwoven into this. Uh, And we even have a hero myth that that, like many of the American West myths, is deeply uh, aggrandized and um, and uh, selectively factual uh, based on whose facts it's being drawn from, uh, which which we'll get to as well. But, uh, you know, yes, I'm not saying that this and The Searchers uh, are the exact same kind of movie, but in a way they kind of are. So, uh, yeah, it it is a it is a uh, it is a firmly held belief that I have that I also have all kinds of provisos and and wishy washy feelings about. But it, it 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 says so much about the quote unquote Westerner concept of, well, uh, let me get in there and fix it and go native for a minute and then realize I'm way in over my head.
1: Dan, you have often talked about, including on this podcast, about why this is one of your favorite movies. And I made sure that you would be on this episode. So you're welcome. Uh, (laughs) What's your your, uh, personal background with this film?
2: Uh, I was looking up, I I can't, hard for me to nail down exactly when I saw this, but I will say that I remember my first sort of like Cognizant memory of seeing part of this was in 1998 when the AFI released their top 100 movies list, uh, at which point this was, I think, number five, maybe four or five. Um, And I was sort of like, that was the first time I remember seeing any sort of scene from it. I hadn't seen it at all. I I knew the name, but I didn't really know much about it. Um, I saw it sometime between then and, you know, 2002 or so. So I guess while I was in college. Um, and around the same time when I was in college, I was doing a, a lot of uh, taking a lot of classes on both um, studying Near Eastern stuff and Islam and uh, Islamic culture and all of that stuff. So it, it particularly resonated with me in some ways just because I had been very immersed in that for some of my education. Uh, and so there was a lot in there that was related to things that I had studied. But also, as so many of us are discussing, just the, the pure cinematic Uh, technical nature of it as well um which is that i first saw it on a big screen my parents took me to one of our local uh you know art house theaters the brattle which uh, shows lots of lots of great movies um and for many many years i had only watched this on the big screen uh like moises you know I, i went every time basically it popped up at one of our local theaters Uh, So I probably saw it three or four times, and I would just take different people with me every time, because I'd be like, whoa, you've never seen this? Like, come on, we gotta go. Uh, And several of them resented the fact that it was (laughs) almost four hours, and it's a movie that primarily takes place in a desert, so you get kind of thirsty. Which can be, uh, you have to plan ahead for that sort of thing. But... For me, so much of it, you know, I I was totally blown away, not only by the technical like cinematography and craft of that, but also the storytelling, which I think, you know, I I think Moises is uh, that's pretty astute to to compare it to the Western. I think it it does have a lot in common there. I also think it's kind of a Shakespearean tragedy to a certain extent, uh, although it, it messes with sort of your traditional a uh, uh, tragic, uh, structure in that it essentially kills the main character in the first five minutes. It's <laughs> also alert. kind of like,
3: like <laughs> Shakespeare's Macbeth as written by Macbeth.
2: Yes, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, again, you, you know, really factually questionable. I, I think it's hard to view this as a, it certainly can't view it entirely as a biopic, even as a historical work. It's very lacking. Uh, And of course, there are numerous problems that we'll probably discuss with some of the portrayal, but even watching it this time around and I watched it, I actually had a weird experience. I started watching it um, because I had a, I had many DVD copies. I have a Blu-ray copy and I had like a digital copy as a result. And so I started watching it on iTunes and uh, watched about half of it last night. And then when I came back today, it was like the quality was really, I was like, oh, man, it's really a lot of artifacts, a lot of like looking kind of janky. And this is not how I want to watch this film. Um, So I pulled out my Blu-ray copy and popped it in and was just like, oh, man, this is night and day. Like It looks so much better now. So I watched the second half on uh, on Blu-ray, which was just gorgeous, amazingly gorgeous. Uh, I don't even have a 4K TV and it still looks fantastic. So, yeah, I I find it interesting, though, that all of us, you know, immediately went to talking about the formats in which we watch this just because (laughs) it is an epic, expansive movie. And, you know, that is definitely a huge part of it. But I think there's a lot more and I'm sure we'll dig into that.
1: Uh, Phil, I should give you your chance if you've got uh, your personal history
4: with this. I've s You know, I see it every couple of years. It's great. Um. The- <laughs> All right. Summed up. Done. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> the the thing night. that um um. Uh, in in boning up on this, I came across basically a quote from, from Omar Sharif and I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase here, but you he say, you know, really this movie shouldn't exist. It's four hours long. There's no women in it. There's no romance in it. There's minimal action scenes. There's uh there's no real bad guy per se, other than no, that it's the Ottoman empire. And they're they Are they the bad guy? Mm. Are are we
2: the baddies? <laughs> yes.
4: And yet it's this uh, expansive, engrossing story that, uh, um in many ways defies uh the conventions of storytelling just by by lacking elements of romance and adventure and and uh uh, uh what you would typically associate with a war picture or e- even if you do argue a western uh, a western picture
1: yeah it it is it is part travelog um because the desert to me is the most important character in the movie actually um i think it's also a survival story in a Jack Londonesque esque kind of way a little bit, which is, the this is about the, uh, my favorite parts of it at least, are about the kind of the desert and just how imposing the desert is. And it's, the desert is this strange environment. And then of course, from the perspective of Lawrence, the people who live in the desert and the rules of the people who live in the desert, also very alien to him in the first act. And I, uh, you know, but it, you're right. It's not what you would, Guess is
0: the genre of this movie. Yeah, I hate, I hate all of those things that you just mentioned. I don't like westerns. Uh, I I don't like biopics. I don't like um, docudramas. I don't like. I don't like movies that don't have women in them. I hate war movies. Do you
1: like National Geographic specials about the desert? I do hey not. Erica,
3: do, do you like uh, do you like uh, movies that are anti-colonialist but that are also super super racist? <laughs>
0: uh, yes. <laughs> well, there you go. Ah, you uh, nailed no. it. That's
3: her genre. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, th- then you like Lawrence of Arabia because that's the yeah. one. There you go. Yeah, but there but you go. So, like-
0: all of those all of those things, somehow they all come together. To, it's, a, it's like a, a dish where every ingredient on its own is something that I don't like. But when you kind of mix them together in the right melange, then it just works perfectly for me. The the alchemy of this movie is something truly magical.
2: It's not only that they're, they're all the ingredients you don't like, but it's like ingredients that you don't think that like actively seem to work against each other at times. Like this movie subverts itself mm-hmm. in a number of ways, like almost no stance that it takes is not later controverted by something else <laughs> that happens in this movie. And it's like hard to it's kinda like being on shifting sands. Like you never quite know Ooh. where mm-hmm. where you're going next. Yeah, I threw that out for you. Thanks.
0: Thank you.
1: I mean, talking about anti-colonial and also kind of racist at the same time it's like yeah it's and and i think maybe that's part of the genius of this movie and and uh, perhaps completely unintentionally in parts is that you can kind of take what you want from it i mean I, i don't want to fast forward to like what you take away from this movie because we should talk about what's in it but i do think that that's part of the aspect is that there's so much in here and there's so much you can read into it that in some ways you can you can See the parts that you're like, aha, yes, I see what you're doing there. And then you sort of like take the parts that that you want to take and and disregard the rest. But I will say, watching it in 2019, I had a, <laughs> a reaction that I have not had before, which is, wow, that's a lot of English actors yep. uh, in makeup yeah. acting like they're
3: Arabs yeah. other than Omar Sharif. <laughs> the, the crazy thing is that Alec Guinness, with the prosthetics, the prosthetics are basic or, and uh, you know, a little bit of brown face is all that he needs to be enough of a dead ringer for Faisal that he was mistaken for Faisal on the streets
2: of Jordan. Yeah. (laughs) Although, although he was much older than he should have been in the movie, but yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, as, as a, as a, as a, I guess a, a disclaimer for people who are worried that I'm I'm going to be like uh, uh, negative Nelsoning this thing and just going point by point about historical inaccuracies and so on, I think there's some of it that is very important to highlight. Uh, but there are really great books that are all about the myriad historical inaccuracies and and to tie together a few threads that we threw in our opening statements. This movie is much more based on the version of T. E. Lawrence presented in his own autobiography, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, than cross-referencing that with a bunch of actual historical text and research and so on and so there's it's it's fascinating the movie itself is about his hubris and how it undid him and at the same time it is it is exactly the kind of um rose-tinted ego portrait that uh is kind of thrown off as a joke in the opening of the movie
1: the newspaper man character which is fascinating to me i i think is a good example of this as well because The Newspaper Man character is like, I need a story to tell. I need a character. I want to portray a hero. And it's like the movie is saying he is going to write this hagiography, this, you know, hero worship of T.E. Lawrence.
2: And this is it. Huh. (laughs) And yet, and and at the same time, this movie is not like wholly complimentary to him, right? Mm -hmm. Like... I
4: believe the family withdrew or withheld any sort of permission or the-
2: his brother was very very teed off. Yes. Yeah.
1: It's 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 just it, those contradictions are I think maybe why that why we still talk about this movie yes. uh, fifty yeah. plus years later
3: and and the movie that we got ended up being as rosy of a picture of the guy as I think people could could actually ask for. And, and at the same time, it, it, the, the, the fascinating portrait of a guy that it portrays is a guy who was very full of himself and very careful about how he portrayed himself. And he was very wrapped up in that, but at the same time had massive self-esteem issues. I, I wanted to build off something Jason
2: was saying a second ago, just in terms of the reaction to it in 2019, because I think that's interesting in the way that we sort of evolved around these movies right like uh, i'm thinking back to the history of watching it and thinking like well in the 60s when you know this was made that was kind of you know it was certainly if not the norm it was not uncommon to have plenty of white actors in blackface or brownface portraying other ethnicities
3: happened a lot it's astonishingly not as racist as Many other movies made in the
2: '60s.
4: Anthony were. Quinn made an entire career out of playing all yes. of the races <laughs> of the
2: world. <laughs> yeah, watching it when I started seeing when I first saw this movie. I think you know, not thinking about that as an as the way that we necessarily would today. I would think of it more as like a like a trivia note for people when they saw, them. "I'm like, oh, did you know that guy playing that character is actually just a British white guy?" And it was kind of like a wow, that's perplexing and bizarre. You kind of laugh it off, and then in 2019, it's definitely more of a yeah, wow, no, that's not great,
3: guys. You've got Anthony Quinn playing Auda Abu like Pancho Villa of the Middle East. <laughs> and and just the the basic characterization is that he is like he is like caveman dumb, but you know he may not be book smart, but he sure is living smart. You know, uh, he yep. sure he sure does know how to Anthony live Quinn life.
1: Had in his bag, so that was the that was the <laughs> one he swung. Also, we're talking about history history here, I should say this is one of those things where. This is an era of history in a corner of the world uh, that I don't know anything about. So what I've kind of assumed all along, I've read more about it now, but like, it's very much like I, I've never interrogated this movie as a piece of history because I've never considered it a piece of history. Um, I, I kind of, it's in that, lives in that nether space of like, well, you know, apparently it's based on historical people, but
0: I'm not even sure I actually really knew that it was based on real history when I first saw it. I think maybe I kind of had that in the back of my head but and it, and it was long before I, I actually really came to to hate biopics and docudramas because if I think if I watched it now for the first time I would be picking a part in my head going did that really happen is that really the way it happened that's why I can't watch right. those movies but at the time I'm kind of glad that I wasn't really familiar with the fact that it was real or really anything about World War One at all because I was able to view it as basically like a desert fantasy almost right and it's and it's it's myth-making
1: right like that, mm-hmm. it really feels and it turns out it really is if you compare yeah. it to the history but it like this story exists in myth this is the this is the legend of the englishman who went to the arabian peninsula and went through the desert and met met all the local people and had this unlikely victory and then all of the sort of depressing things that happened after yeah. that by the way in, in act two uh and and um you know, my understanding is, yeah, it, it has some severe problems as a historical document. And it's funny because I I think in the way it's viewed as a great film, it is not viewed as a great historical document, as a historical, right. uh, you know, epic. It is <laughs> it is it works as a mythology more than a document of what really happened, which is good because it seems to not be a document of what
3: really happened. The unfortunate thing being people make assumptions and model their prejudices on things that they see in fiction assuming well it's based on a true story how far off could it be instead of actually doing the reading so the fictions that are contained in this movie a lot of people formed parts of their worldview based on this and based on the stuff that was in seven pillars of wisdom because there was no further interrogation beyond that That
1: was the popularization of what was really going on in the middle east but here's Lawrence to tell you
3: about it here. here, Here's our expert. And what we got in the legend that was printed here is still a fascinatingly nuanced piece of work where something else with those kinds of trappings that you know has all kinds of biases written all over it um, would not have necessarily been this good. And, and the fact that we're still talking about it to this day and various of us are taking out additional mortgages to buy new collector's mm-hmm. edition box sets of it um, <laughs> is a testament to the fact that. As factually inaccurate, as offensive as parts of it are, as especially offensive as a completely invented part of it is that uh, we'll get into later on, the story itself has enough fact in it that it is not fully into the realm of fantasy.
1: Let me take a break from this episode to tell you about one of our sponsors. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Express VPN. Everybody knows how a VPN protects your privacy and security online, but did you know it can take your TV watching to the next level? That's true because you can unlock movies and shows only available in other countries, meaning you can use ExpressVPN to binge on shows in a different place from you. Or if you're in a different place, get back home with VPN using ExpressVPN and then watch your Netflix when you're traveling or Yes, you could also turn around and watch someone else's Netflix, I suppose. I'm not endorsing this, I'm just saying ExpressVPN works by hiding your IP address and moving it to another place. It enables security and privacy and also lets you geolocate yourself as you choose. There are hundreds of vpns out there but expressvpn ridiculously fast no buffering no lag you can stream things in hd it's compatible with all your devices phones media consoles smart tvs and more so you can watch what you want whenever you want i've used it it's super easy i've been outside the country one tap and i'm back home to stream video from home you visit my special link right now go to expressvpn.com slash snell you'll get three extra months free with a one-year package support the show watch what you want protect yourself all at once expressvpn.com slash snell thank you expressvpn for supporting the incomparable we'll be here forever and we'll need our own intermission to step through the whole thing but we should we should at least step through it in chunks i think phil just to get to be able to talk about the Sure, would you,
4: would you like me to, to recount the plot as best I can?
1: Yeah, sure, go ahead.
4: Okay, so it's 1935. Franklin Delano <laughs> Roosevelt has just promised us a new deal. Talking pictures are all the rage, but we don't care because we're actually in England where T.E. Lawrence is repairing his motorcycle while the opening credits play. He gets on his motorbike, he rides for a little bit, he swerves because of some bicyclists. Pow, he's dead, end of picture. No, not really. <laughs> um, we smash cut to T.E. Lawrence's funeral, where we see the characters that we're about to meet saying, oh, who really knew who Lawrence was? And uh, yeah. and that takes us to uh, another smash cut. It's uh, what year? I don't know.
1: It's uh, World War I. <laughs> 1914? What year? No
3: How could you know what year it is? It's 19 World War One. <laughs> 19-something <laughs> or other.
4: And uh, Lawrence is stationed in Cairo, where he is apparently a map maker in the uh in uh the 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 headquarters and he does not want to be a map maker in headquarters he wants to be out on the front he um clearly uh has a knowledge of the uh the the Bedouins. He clearly has a knowledge of Arabia, and he is clearly a screw up. He is not <laughs> a soldier, uh, as as is made uh, repeatedly clear. He's called to the general's office. I forget which uh, which general it is.
3: that's Murray at this point. It's the one with the mustache, Phil. The one with the general mustache. mustache. The one narrow, who looks yeah. like the Amazing
4: Mumford from Sesame Street. Uh, but uh, <laughs> he's not going to be there for long because. Uh, uh, Good old Claude Rains is there as as Mr. Dryden from the Arab Bureau, and he's requested that Lawrence be sent off to join up with uh, Prince Faisal and the uh, Arab army that is revolting against the Ottoman Empire just to assess the situation and see what it is. Um, And uh, uh, against his better judgment, the uh, general sends him off and... uh, we got the first of our, our many uh, famous shots from this movie where where Dryden and Lawrence are, are talking. Uh, Lawrence is doing the trick with the, the match where he's uh, going to put it out with his fingers it really hurts, apparently, uh, mm. and uh, instead blows it out. And that becomes the sun in the desert. And uh, yeah, uh, that is um,
2: that is a shot, That's baby. Possibly the most famous cut in cinema history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could be. Yeah, he is. A, he is a weirdo and a screw up. Doesn't fit in his uniform. Doesn't know how to salute. I love his awkward. Whenever he is in the uniform, he is painfully it's awkward. It's my manners, yeah. It seems insubordinate, but it isn't. I uh, I really just love I love the way O'Toole uh the physicality of his performance and how he moves back and forth between being comfortable in his own skin and not being comfortable in his own skin. But even when he is comfortable, he's kind of awkward and weird and it's that's what kind of makes him delightful.
4: The dialogue, the way he carries himself, it is it is very clear he does not fit in in uh in in the world of nice guys in suits and uniforms
3: i say allenby the one who doesn't like following orders or doing anything the way he's supposed to let's send him independently to be his own master and do whatever he wants <laughs> mm-hmm. great idea yes and so i think fairly economically we are now
1: <laughs> we are now with peter o'toole out in the desert and that's like okay with his here we go with his yes, guy.
4: um and the guy I always feel sorry about as we get the many establishing shots in the desert is the continuity editor on Lawrence of Arabia, <laughs> who after every take had to go rake that desert clean. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I will say
2: my, my wife has uh, spent some time in Jordan where they filmed a lot of this. And she's like, yeah, Wadi Rum, I spent a lot of time there. This is the only angle you can shoot there because there's a parking lot like 20 meters to the right. <laughs> so they keep using, she's like, yep, they keep, they've used every possible shot of the same desert. This is one of the things that I think attracts us
1: to this because even though this is a movie from the 60s, this is an epic, right? And we talk about like movie epics and and the the cast of thousands and C- Cecil B. DeMille or whatever, right? And like here it is, David Lean, and he is going to have vast expanses of desert and and. Like I said earlier, I, to me the desert is the star of the movie, and that that more than anything else, this is about the alienation of of the desert and the different rules that apply in the desert. And so for us to be knocked right into it, and along with Lawrence, and have to figure it out as we go, and uh, you know, not understand what's all going on and this totally alien landscape that that's always the thing that sticks with with me. This is to me again, maybe this is like. National Geographic travelogue or something that I'm thinking of here, but like that, the, the the desert always just um, amazes me when I see it and that moment where the where the, the match goes out and the sun replaces it. And like now we are in an inhospitable land that we don't understand the rules of. I love it.
3: And the proper financing of, of film restoration is the reason that Movies like this have this kind of effect because they did get cleaned up. They did get taken care of for the new ways that we have to watch them with high dynamic range and levels of contrast that we couldn't in our homes. That, frankly, some of the home presentations of this that are available now are better than it was viewable even theatrically because of the degradation of the original materials that Prince had been struck from. Probably until 1989, right? Between yeah, until 1989. 1989, yeah. You know. yeah you you were dealing with whatever spliced together things missing frames who knows chunks of scenes yeah missing scenes uh, that kind of thing it's just just seeing it that beautiful that's one of the things that keeps coming back to me is that you know there there are movies that we have lost that had that same kind of effect and and you can literally only experience them by reading criticism written about them right. decades and decades later but
1: it's you know because this is a late era right movie it's it's 62 it's like oh right Here's an epic that we can that we can save and that we can connect to in a way that maybe the earlier film epics we can't because it was so, so recent. Um, Phil, by the way, this is uh, our welcome to the desert moment, which is, oh, we need water. Oh, you drank from the wrong well. Uh, you're going to die now. Right.
4: And that's part of the, the rules that you were talking about. We also <laughs> learn at this point that as out of place Lawrence might be in what we would consider polite society, he really um, uh, uh, beds in well. When he's uh, traveling with his guide, he will only drink water when his guide drinks. He right. eats the, the 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 different food without complaint. He gives his guide his pistol as a as a gift for uh, 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 showing him the way, and uh, 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 by doing so, shows hospi- hospitality. Um, and that pistol comes into play when they do reach the well, and we learn that one of those unwritten rules uh, is. Don't drink at another person's well, especially if they're a different tribe from you, because suddenly out on the horizon is um, is a dot and we get to see that (laughs) dot grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And as long as that that shot seemingly takes to establish itself, apparently they that it could have been like 10 times longer. (laughs) <laughs> and and <laughs> it's
1: longer in my memory than it is in the film. Yeah. I, just said, I yeah. didn't
4: have the guts to go beyond a couple minutes. And, um, <laughs> it turns out that that is Omar Sharif or, uh, 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 Sharif Ali, as, as I believe he's in the, is yep. in the movie. Uh, and, uh, Lawrence's guy goes for his pistol, but eh, not so fast, pal, because when a man meets a with a man with a pistol meets a man with a gun, the man with the pistol is dead. And so or a man with a rifle. And so uh, Sharif Ali uh, shoots the guy dead, uh, rides up to Lawrence and... uh, uh, there we get the line what is your name my name is for my friends
3: none of my friends a a murderer. Murderer. In, in writing in omar sharif uh he he became so iconic as a sex symbol from this movie he single-handedly redefined thirst in a desert <laughs> this guy Hell
0: yeah like
3: he just shows up and he is he is presiding over the proceedings and he in countless interviews he talked about how David Lean told him I want you to be a tiger and and yeah that that tiger could get it um like he just he 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 is he is a presence uh, unlike few others that i've seen in film history in this movie where he just arrives fully
2: formed just to have him and o'toole in the same movie both giving these performances is kind of incredible because I mean, uh, I think they're both just sort of bravura, like, you know, career performances for both of these guys. And they both did plenty of other great work, too. But like watching them share this, the screen together for me was just part of the reason that I think when you start watching this movie, you just end up wrapped with attention is these these guys are this is so where commanding. it really
4: begins to take off. The, yeah, when, when when Omar Sharif rides onto the screen.
1: Yeah, for sure. This is, this is that moment. So
4: basically, Omar Sharif "Ah, no hard feelings, I'll take you to see Prince Faisal. And Lawrence says, oh, I'll find my own way, thank you very much. Um, so, and, and so he does, um, arrives at the camp where he meets Colonel Brighton, played by Anthony Quayle, who is the straight-by-the-book officer who has no patience for Lawrence, ha- doesn't really understand why Lawrence is there, is suspicious of Lawrence. We also meet, at this point in the movie, Prince Faisal, who is played by uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, his own bad self, Alec Guinness. Uh, And um, the desert may be the star of the picture, and this may be the career-making role for Peter O'Toole, but I love Alec Guinness in this picture.
2: I think that's how my parents convinced me to come watch this in the first place because of my deep Star Wars nerddom. It was like, well, Alec Guinness is in it. I was like, well, that's fine. I'll watch anything with Alec Guinness in it.
1: I can't watch him in this without thinking that um, hearing George Lucas sort of say, you know, Alec do it like lawrence of arabia
0: because uh-huh. <laughs> there's that yeah. very
4: much i am a wise old man even though mm-hmm. as dan pointed out faisal was not an old man at this point he no. uh, i think he and lawrence were the same age or thereabouts
2: they're in the he's in like 30 I, I was gonna say there's a part later on you guys mentioned the scenes that got cut and there's a restored one um the with faisal and the reporter much later right and you can totally hear the part the lines that were dubbed in later by Guinness because they were lost because his voice sounds much more like Obi Wan Kenobi
1: mm. in those bits. <laughs> I really like Prince Faisal and it's great. It's very clear to us that he he's making all the complicated calculations because he as he says very late in the picture, you know, I I'm the one who has to be king, mm-hmm. and and throughout he is open minded but skeptical, calculating, interested, like. And Guinness does a great job of embodying him with all of those characteristics. Like, he feels formidable, I feel like, whenever we see him. He's he's a formidable presence. He's a serious presence. He's got a lot that he's thinking about. Um, and I, I yeah, I, so it always leaves an impression on me when, when... Plus, yes, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. I know the voice. <laughs> the voice is like, oh, yeah. oh, listen to this guy. He's important.
0: He's also so world-weary, and he seems to me sad on a level that is is different from anybody else's sort of like visceral sadness that happens throughout any part, part of the film he is he is the king he is in charge he holds the lives of so many people in his hands and you can tell that 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 weighs on him not in a way that stoops him down like he is he's clearly up to the challenge but it uh it it it, it weighs on his mind and when he is being calculating and he's making those decisions you can tell that he is is weighing all of that uh because he knows what what is what is at stake every time
4: the sadness is an excellent observation because there's that uh early shot when when we first meet them where they're being strafed by the uh by the turks uh and uh lean holds the shot on uh on uh, Guinness as he's going, stay, stay in fight, And, but it just looks like he's about to break down crying at one point that, that, yep. that they're making such a poor show of it and being cut to ribbons. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really, um, it's one of the few times we actually get beyond the mask and, and, and see the man.
2: He's also kind of Riley self aware of what is going on. The fact that there are these larger powers at work that are all trying to toy with his, people and his land um, and you know especially later on in the movie I think that only increases but like he is he you know for example the fact that like they were not given artillery that they're they got cut mm-hmm. down by these guns when they tried to invade Medina right like he kind of knows they are sort of pawns in this whole game and even though he's trying to carve out you know land for his his people, Um, he is, he is kind of outmatched just from a, like, technological and political, like, uh, just the world stage.
4: He is also the only character in the movie who really clocks Lawrence right away. Throughout the picture, Lawrence gets asked multiple times some variation of, who are you, or who do you think you are, or what are you, and, uh... Uh, it's not really something that Faisal ever asks except rhetorically because he, he kind of figures out the answer early on and, and in the scene in Faisal's tent, he kind of, uh, pretty much, uh, uh does a, a very good armchair diagnosis of Lawrence.
1: <laughs> okay. Time for one more break. Our episode is brought to you this week also by Hrefs. whether you work for a big brand Run your own small business like I do. Do freelance work like I do. Getting traffic to websites is always a challenge. So much competition. Hrefs is an all-in-one SEO tool set that solves this problem. It gives you the tools you need to rank your website in Google, get tons of search traffic. It's always been, in my career, hard to figure out what's going on with search. What are they doing? How do I get traffic? You can't just put up a website. You have to actually use this stuff in order for it to uh, to make sense. It's hard And hrefs is going to help you uncover how your competitors are getting traffic and why you can see the pages and content that send them the most traffic and get estimated search volumes with their keywords explorer tool. So you can see how well a piece of content is likely to perform before you write it. Big time saving there. Ahrefs has tons of useful stuff. Content Explorer helps you find guest blogging opportunities. Rank Tracker lets you track your progress on keywords. It'll even pick up broken backlinks and help you fix them. Take the mystery out of SEO and there's a lot of mystery to be taken out you can do it. Just go to ahrefs.com. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot right now. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot Sign up for the seven-day trial for $7. Get reports on your website, see what's performing well, and figure out your next move. Whether you have a personal website you want to get a following on or your company needs some more traffic to convert into sales, go there now. Ahrefs.com. Get that $7 trial. Thank you to Hrefs for supporting The Incomparable. All right, uh so from here, Phil, uh I guess it's um a, 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 a attack on Aqaba, right? This is the this is the the uh a a, a segment that I really like cuz it's the idea of we could do this thing that like that literally they're not defending because they think it can't be done. What if we did that?
4: Yes, there's a there's a city named Aqaba that's a fortified Turkish uh city if the british or the the, could could hold it they could supply the arab army and the arab army could do all sorts of things unfortunately you can't attack it from the sea because there are these giant fixed guns pointing out at the sea however you can't turn the guns around and shoot them at the desert and uh guess, guess what a bedouin army can do they can ride through the desert but this is this is not just any desert this is apparently the worst desert on earth uh that they have to 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 uh, emerge through and find other uh, fighters. So Lawrence leads fifty men, including a very reluctant sh- Sheriff Ali, uh, uh, through this uh, through this nightmare of a desert. And yeah, this is probably um, it. Seems strange to say in a movie where you've still got like two and a half, three hours of <laughs> runtime. <laughs> this is one of the high points of the movie. Because yep. um, yep. it is, and again. Strange to say this is the moment of epic adventure where it's just guys going, good God, it's hot and I'm about to (laughs) fall over dead. (laughs) And
0: (laughs) plodding along on camels. It it is
4: very exciting and very kind of of white knuckling. And this is where you're going, God, I'm glad I'm watching this at home and can go and get a beverage. Mm
3: -hmm. Now, this is actually the place in the movie that is an all-male cast where they could have featured a real-life woman who Uh was crucial to this whole thing, uh, a woman named Gertrude Bell. Who uh, met with uh, tribes in, in in the the areas surrounding Aqaba, um, briefed Lawrence on a bunch of this stuff. But in the movie, in the movie, this genius plan, it just comes out of thin air. It's amazing. Because Lawrence is a genius guys Wait, he spends Lawrence. all night wandering around
2: the desert yes. and sitting and thinking and throwing a rock i mean that's how do you come <laughs> so up with plans, guys? That
4: when a rock hits him he just picks up the rock and keeps thinking man yes. <laughs> he just thought
3: so hard he and did. and this is also this is also the part of the movie where we're introduced to uh to our uh, uh you know favorite for as long as they live uh a pair of knuckleheads. Yeah, Timon and Pumba of *The oh. of Arabia. <laughs> good old good old Daoud
4: and Faraj. Yes, the, the dead-end kids of the Arab mm-hmm. Desert
1: doesn't go well for them but anyway <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> but they yeah they, they they follow him along while he's uh, while he's wandering alone at night thinking and they're just there. is his two little angels on his shoulder uh you know giving him good karma juice or something like that and you know they just they just oh golly they just sure like him so much mr lawrence oh golly gee i sure would like to help water your horse or something uh, again with my western thing you know the, the two the two the two kids who just, the urchins. Right? The the yep. urchin the urchins who, who don't got no maw and no paw. Uh, <laughs> they just they just fall right in and they're so adorable that the first time I saw this, I, I thought to myself, how soon and how horribly do they die? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Like is it you say this is the
2: high point. It's not only the high point in terms of some of the action and adventure, but it's also the it's kind of the most optimistic that this film gets, right? Like it's everything up till now you could kind of be like, Well, this is kind of a it's not quite a romp, but like there's adventure and action and excitement and it, it, we kind of hit the high point of the roller coaster and then things immediately <laughs> go to hell uh for reasons we'll get into in a second but i think that really is like again kind of where this veers into this sort of shakespearean tragedy
3: story <laughs> as it unfolds yeah you have the con the consequences of accomplishing the impossible where okay now what are you going to do you're going to do the more impossible thing well guess what That's also impossible. There's no there's no second level to the literally impossible thing and uh, and holding himself to those actually impossible standards, actually insurmountable standards uh, is uh, is why he can do nothing but tumble straight downhill from here.
0: And I mean, it starts pretty early, too, because in that trek across the desert, they lose one man and he is yes. determined to go back and, and get him, even though it's, again, something that just it just can't be done. He'll die. You'll die. It'll be ridiculous. But no, he he goes back and he's able to get it. And his little urchins are so happy to see him when he returns. <laughs> yeah, and this, they're like, dude, the other, you got This Gazeem. is the other
4: great shot in the... Um, in, in, the other great shot is if there's only two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of the, many other, great one shot, of the many other great shots early on in the motion picture, where, again, little dot appearing on the horizon. Oh, that's Lawrence coming out of the desert, having rescued poor Gassim, who fell off his camel uh, uh, during the and no one noticed, apparently, because they were all about first, to fall off their camels.
3: The first time they mention his name, it, it it's almost like, you know, Gassim good old Gazim. everybody knows Gazim's name <laughs> and they're like oh that guy yeah. oh okay. okay he has a name yes, he was at the
4: watering hole earlier and was saying concoctions okay. yeah. yeah okay
3: all right okay he's got a name well he certainly he'll stick around for a while right phil no
4: he won't but let's uh, so they they as as erica said Gassim fell off his camel lawrence goes back and get him they'll say you're going to die in the desert idiot and then it's going to be us 48 of us here we can't ride back through the desert after that uh, but lawrence does it
0: because nothing is written no don't
4: it's gasim's time well nothing is written at all until it's until y- you do the writing and they say oh Hey, this Lawrence, look, now we're going to follow him to the ends of the earth. I,
2: I do love that shot, by the way, of Daud riding to meet him. I laugh yes. every time as they have the zoom out and the camels riding at him and he rides
0: past him. Yeah, well, it's it takes a while to turn a camel. Yeah,
2: you can't. T- it's like turning a battleship. Yeah. Yep. Ooh, yep exactly. I overshot. Whoops. But it's fun. It's a and there's a lot of comedic scenes up until this point, right? Like, I mean, yes. there's the scene with Lawrence singing in the canyon where everything's echoing, right. right? Like, there is a lot of humor, and again, this is sort of the point at which things take a turn.
4: Also, also, I love that
2: when Lawrence gets back to the camp with with. Uh, seam
4: and, de- and 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 one of the urchins. The other urchin runs up with the water and hands it to his <laughs> urchin friend. Yep. <laughs> there the you first. go. You really exhausted yourself waiting for Lawrence. Yeah. Forty feet away. Uh, but uh, yes, they get back to the and and Ali, who um, was was very uh, anti Lawrence, is now Lawrence's biggest fan. He is the the chairman of the Lawrence Fan Club. He burns Lawrence's uh, uh, uniform, which. Frankly, was a blessing because it it, it's, it looked like it stunk, uh, and gives him um, and gives him his own robe, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that's the you get the lovely scene where Peter O'Toole is twirling around in the desert, and boy, boy do I do I empathize with that yeah. <laughs> all the twirling. All the twirling in the in in the lovely flowing breathable garment, mm-hmm. and uh, at this point we are introduced to uh, to to Anthony Quinn Auda, who uh, is the leader of a uh, Howitak tribe, uh, and they are a tribe of fighters and kind kind of brigands is the implication. They 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 basically will do anything for money, and Lawrence convinces them. Um, to join their effort to overthrow the Turks in Aqaba.
0: That's one of my favorite scenes, just because the the writing, the language, the back and forth that they have, um, and the way that, that Lawrence convinces him is just, it. it you know, you're not going to go because you want the money. You're going to go, you know, because, you know, for your pleasure. And By the end of it, he's just all, ah, thy mother mated with a scorpion. <laughs> it's just, yep. it, yeah. it It
4: is excellent writing. It's, this is one of those scenes where viewing it through 2019 uh, as you're kind of, you kind of yeah. looking. At anthony quinn's performance and you're all this would have been better had they cast another egyptian actor in the in the vein of omar sharif for this part instead of going to yeah. anthony quinn and his uh and his meta and, and his makeup kit
3: yeah is he a racist cartoon yes is he still enjoyable as a cartoon yeah. yeah uh you know to an extent it's you know it's it's a it's a slightly problematic looney tune you
1: mm-hmm. could you could argue too that anthony quinn is kind of just like, viewed from a distance, it's just like, it's an Anthony Quinn character. It's yeah. broad, and like, like, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, It's Paul Gauguin from yeah. uh, Lust for Life, except now he's in the <laughs> desert. There'll
3: be there'll be ad-libs that you can tell are ad-libs that don't make it any better, uh, but that's just kind of what you're going to get. But unfortunately... Now, oh, the irony, the sad
1: irony yes uh, it it turns out that somebody uh one one of uh one of their guys has killed one of Anthony Quinn's guys because of some sort of bad blood between their families, and uh if they retaliate, everything's gonna blow up this this tentative partnership will blow up, so Lawrence again gets one of those brain
4: strokes of his oh man, <laughs> hey, what if I kill him and then no one is angry at anyone.
3: I know the way to peace. It is through me murdering someone. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine.
1: There's no one will be offended. And so it's a real O. Henry twist there because it turns <laughs> out it's Kasim who he's just saved and now he has to kill. kill. Oh no.
3: I mean, that's the <laughs> twist, the O. Henry. Yeah. There's this amazing performance by Peter O'Toole in the movie, but a big part of what makes me enjoy it is how incredibly fantastically over the top and probably half drunk. Uh, parts <laughs> of it read where he is there is acting and then there is capital a acting and then there's capital a acting with italics and he is doing capital a acting with italics and he is acting so hard in this <laughs> scene he is acting so hard he is gonna make sure you know he is acting and really feeling the loss of
2: Kazim. it's I think that so much of it is in his his face and his physicality I mean yeah it's is it over the top of it for sure But it also kind of fits with the fact that... That's what makes it so good. Mm -hmm. Right. It makes it great, and it's the fact that uh, Lawrence is super awkward. He is super weird and awkward and doesn't quite fit in anywhere and he's he is kind of over the top just as a person and like is it o'toole is it lawrence is it some combination of both it's hard to say but it is it is a delight to watch because yeah he might pop a vein in
3: his head but (laughs) (laughs) yeah like how many fifths of whiskey were were involved in this who knows who cares
4: apparently Mm -hmm. a lot because uh peter o'toole claimed that to steady his nerves when he was on the camel he would he would show up ripped so that he would be relaxed on the camel, <laughs> and a, and he's still doing great work. And, and apparently, when they fe- when they filmed the acaba scene, he he fell off the camel. He was so drunk and nearly got yeah. trampled to death.
3: Which apparently happened to Lawrence too at one point. Yeah, you, you look into his eyes, and it's like he's seeing into another dimension. It turns out he is seeing into another dimension.
0: <laughs> he's just the most extra. That's all. most (laughs) he's he's our emo hero and i love
3: him he is so extra he is so extra and and it's consistent the whole time and none more extra you know i I, i'd like to thank all of the peat bogs and barrels that contributed to this incredible performance
4: if you were thinking oh now comes the great action scene in Aqaba and it's going to be this great prolonged battle and it's good. No, it's, it's really quick. They, the, 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 the Arab army sweeps in and the Turks are caught uh, flat footed and, and it takes about 30 seconds really of, of film time in, in what has been an hour long movie at this point maybe an hour and 20.
0: Which might be part of why I like it even though it is a war movie because the the battles are not the point for the no, most part. No,
4: it's a- absolutely the case that uh, the battles are, are not the point.
2: I, and yet they still it clearly spent a ton of money like building these giant, you know, <laughs> sets mm-hmm. and hiring all these people. Like, again, you know, we people like to laud the age of before cgi but looking back at an age really where you're trying to make these giant movies and you don't have tools like cgi at your disposal man that's a lot of moving pieces and it looks yep. impressive it does well david leans i blew up a bridge you ass- in my last movie?
4: Song. i think i can handle
3: a few guys
4: riding through a town
3: and in and and then this thing with Akaba, I I don't even remember. You know, I've, I've seen all the documentaries a million times. I don't even remember if this is what they did. But part of me makes me. Part of me thinks, well, what they obviously did was they just did a they just did a matte painting that looks really good because that's what they would do. They didn't have the CG to paint in, so they yeah. literally painted in yeah. stuff that they didn't want to have to build.
1: I don't think it's anticlimactic, Akaba because it really the point is, if you get there. It's it's a very it's almost Dan like a a Star Wars scenario where it's like, aha, we have identified their one weakness and or or any war movie, and if we can do this, and the answer is the guns are pointed at the at the water. They're pointed (laughs) away from the desert. In the wrong place. And so exactly small thermal exhaust point. If you can (laughs) survive the trek across the desert, the, the you know the which is impossible to cross through the Nefud Desert. If you can, you win. The basically you win, and so of course the movie is sort of like, and then they win <laughs> because yeah. right. that's they, they already did the thing. We set the it up. We set it up right. Like the thing. Set up. Knock it down. You know, those guns, they're pointed the wrong way. We win. Ha-ha. Hooray! Hooray! We Hooray. is about... taken. Lawrence is on the
4: shore. Ali rides up to them. They have one of those. You know, it really doesn't get any better than this moment. Because <laughs> guess what? It won't. No. <laughs> So true. They're gonna radio back to uh, back to headquarters to tell them that they've taken Aqaba, but uh, uh, poor poor Auda uh, has uh, has, in a fit of temper, smashed the uh, smashed the radio. So Lawrence decides uh, again another one of them them brainstorms has uh-huh. hit, and he's gonna go right across the uh, desert.
1: I'm good at crossing across- deserts. Let's cross the Sinai, cross the Sinai. desert just cross- yeah.
2: go to to Egypt.
4: This desert'll be much easier. And you know, this time I'll just take these two dumb kids with me.
2: (laughs) If only there were some sort of historical or cultural allegory to someone just riding across that desert. Uh Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that I love the delivery of those lines. They're amazing.
3: (laughs) Nothing is written until my autobiography, wherein I fictionalize a whole lot of things (laughs) that mysteriously have bizarre parallels to like biblical stories (laughs) and fables
2: yeah yeah i mean literally literally compare myself to moses just like straight up
3: moses did but much less jewish much (laughs) much less jewish in fact not jewish at all
4: long story short too late um (laughs) the 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 ride back to cairo does not go well um specifically for dowd is it that
1: um dowd yeah Yeah, Yeah. dowd that uh learns that uh Uh, Not all sand is solid. Yep, there's a little quicksand problem there, and it's not a wacky cartoon quicksand. No, it is not.
4: Yeah, no, it is quick. The the, the operative word here is quick in sand, Mm. because he is swallowed up whole. Um, uh, Lawrence is sad. Uh, They they wander through some bombed out uh, uh, areas uh, on the Sinai Peninsula. And then they finally uh, uh, make it to the the Suez Canal. What
1: what a a
2: spectacular moment that is. That shot is fantastic.
1: Over the sand dune, there's a ship there's just a boat going by and you're like,
2: oh. What is <laughs> but happening? But it's the horn, the use of the fog horn and we oh all have God. that moment of like, are we, have we all lost it? Have yeah. we all lost the plot? What is happening? Yeah. Is that a cow stroke. or? yeah, yep. yeah. No, it's a, it's a ship. You've reached the Suez Canal. Hooray. Also, it, just in case the symbolism wasn't uh, laid on thickly enough for you, we have the motorcycle driver yelling, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> At Lawrence. Like, and he really has to think about it. He really has to think about it.
4: So now when he when he goes back to Cairo we, we should point out again that he, he's wearing his uh he's wearing the clothes that the, the that uh Ali has given him yeah, and, not his, and not his uniform.
3: And and it it's a full-on Dickensian I am with this urchin and he will drink with me yes. and he will go with
1: me it, said Scrooge. It, it is. Um and I love this though because it's so much like I'm a little, I went a little crazy out in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, am not even caring that you don't really even recognize that I'm actually one of you f- folks and I'm in the English army. And, uh, it, you know, it's like, which is worse? Which is more out of place, Lawrence before or Lawrence now? It's, um...
4: <laughs> and, and when they do recognize him, it's 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 basically oh, it's that it's that screw up Lawrence is back. in yeah. playing yeah, costume. What,
1: what you don't get is the big like, yay, Lawrence. Like later no. th- that happens, but like in the moment, it's just like they're not they're they're just making trouble for him. Like I don't you understand? I'm a hero. I just did this thing, and they're like,
2: who are you? What this what, entire what? sequence is is full of great dialogue and i will say my personal one of my personal favorites is when they belly up to the bar and the the bartender It's just <laughs> this is a bar for british officers we're not particular like just the <laughs> the utter like insouciance of just i am i do i cannot be bothered i give zero
3: f's basically yep. <laughs> i am Lights i'm out. your lemonade he likes your lemonade.
4: <laughs> we learned that General General Amazing Mumford has been replaced by uh, General Allenby, who's played by Jack Hawkins. And if you needed someone to appear in your big screen epic in the 1950s and 1960s, Jack Hawkins j- just materialized like he was beaming down from the Enterprise. Because he-, he is in Bridge on the River Kwai, he is in uh, Ben-Hur, and he is here as General Allenby.
2: It's really good, too.
4: Yeah, yeah oh, he's great. And... Um, they they learn that, oh, Lawrence took Aqaba. That's not something we were expecting to hear. Cool. It turns out you're kind of useful out there in the desert. Uh, would you like to go back? Oh, no, I couldn't possibly go. Oh, all right, I'll do it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just the scene for me where, uh, you know, he's talking, Allenby and Lawrence are talking, and there's a part where he asks his, you know, attache or whatever in from the outside and it's like, oh, did you hear about what Lawrence did? Yes. And the the framing of the shot because you never see the guy that comes in. You see like his you boots, see his legs, the tires. The the shot stays on Lawrence, and again he's doing a lot of that uh, capital A acting again. But his face is just so fragile and broken in that moment that it is. Uh, Again, some amazing, amazing work from O'Toole here. Yes,
4: we also learn in this scene that uh, Lawrence was deeply affected by having to um, uh, kill Gassim in that he kind of enjoyed (laughs) executing Gassim.
2: God complex, anybody? God complex? Mm -hmm. Anybody?
4: And Dan mentioned the great dialogue. This has one of my favorite lines where Lawrence says to Allenby, shouldn't officers uh, show (laughs) initiative? And Allenby goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's bloody dangerous. It's very dangerous when they do. He
2: also says, I'm promoting you to major. I don't think that's a very good idea.
4: (laughs) So we get the big scene where everyone surrounds Lawrence and gives him the attaboy and the good good show, old chap. Meanwhile, Allenby... Uh, Dryden and uh, 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 Brighton uh, walk away, and they're all. We we can't really give them all these things, because then the then the Arabs would be independent. So, let's uh, eh. let's give him most of the things. Eh, we'll give him just give him enough to get what done what we need to get done, and we'll continue. That
3: to- that poor crazy monster of an idiot. That poor poor monster of an idiot. Sucks to be him. Well, let's go figure out exactly how we're going to use him for our own
2: means. Also, just to reinforce Claude Rains's performance here as well, my mm. favorite bit from him, maybe in the entire movie, is where Alan B. kicks over the question to him of, you know, have we any ambitions in Arabia, Dryden? Because, of course, they're trying to convince Lawrence that the British, no, we're really not interested. We don't want anything to do with Arabia. This is what you're up to. That's fine. Go about it. And Claude Rains gives that smirk and just says... Difficult, difficult question, question. sir <laughs> like butter wouldn't melt in his mouth <laughs> and it is a thing of beauty claude
4: rains really shines in the the second half of the movie but that is yeah. a very good moment it's uh intermission it is da, 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 go get your popcorn da, da, go get your beverages da, da. Yeah. it's all um, uphill from here isn't it fellas <laughs> <The> lady? <laughs>
1: Intermission. After yeah, everybody gets a beverage. Everybody comes back in, um, and I, I don't want to say. It, so this is it's rare that you get the intermission. It's a, it's a kind of a classic old school movie thing, um, and I've always said over the years, ever since I watched it the first time, that the first the pre intermission portion of Lawrence of Arabia is like this great story of uh of this weird guy goes out in the desert and there he survives these. Cr- passages through these horrible things and has this unlikely battle um and then and then there's the part after the intermission which as somebody pointed out to me once if you if you read a biography spoiler alert they die at the end because <laughs> that's what happens
0: <laughs> the truth is
1: though that like this that's the part two of this movie i tell people like oh you know i always but then part two is a real downer and then i watch it again and i'm like Like no, I was not. I was not Mm -hmm. making light of it. It really, it really is rough. Like this is this is the the big come down, which is Lawrence believes his own PR. He thinks he's great. He uh, does terrible things. He realizes he does terrible things. He's kind of gone crazy. Uh, He begs to be sent away. Then he gets sent back, and then he finally gets sent away again. It's like it's tragic. It's weird. He is. Doing more active things like the the whole like bombing the trains and stuff like that and the train tracks is all very active, but um, it, it's it's all very tragic. So, wh- what I'm saying is uh, uh, part two, uh, is a real
2: uh, <laughs> it's a real come down, it's the reality it as opposed to the, the beginning being so mythic, right? right? Like, it's just all like yeah. this is war, man. This yeah. is it's not good, yeah. Stuff goes bad.
0: I almost always forget that. Uh, Jackson Bentley as the newspaper man doesn't show up yeah. until the second part of the movie and like to me it, he just seems like a central character in
3: fact he he's the star of the second movie
0: yeah he really is because he is sort of like the the framework that we hang the rest of the actions of Lawrence mm-hmm. upon uh, you know as somebody said earlier yeah he's asking you know I, I need a story I need a hero uh, and that is exactly what, uh, what Lawrence is and what he provides and it's a it's a symbiotic relationship
3: and it turns out he did hold out for a hero until the end of the
2: movie <laughs> and we, <laughs> yep. we kind of need that framework too because you can kind of root for Lawrence in the first half of the movie. It is a lot <laughs> harder to do that in the second <laughs> half of the movie <laughs>
4: yeah yeah part, part one is the ripping yarn and part two is where the bill for the ripping yarn comes due. <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm. yeah which is intentional and great and and I appreciate intellectually I appreciate part two of this movie. Emotionally, I don't, right? Because it's like, uh, it, I mean, it really, I feel like on one level, it is the filmmaker saying, "Okay, we made a myth, and now here's reality." And it's much more fun to have that movie where it's like, yay, and they got to Accra, and everything is great. The end, and guys, (laughs) colonialism finally worked, and they all lived happily ever after. The end, and then you know, there's the rest of which is uh, nothing ever ends, and it continues, and it's terrible because there's yeah. all the fallout
0: a happy ending it, it just depends on where you stop where telling you the stop. story That's and this right. movie That's doesn't right. even have the good grace to give you a first half that is really actually happy and then a second half because he's already kind of losing it and it you know has admitted that he enjoyed killing a man by the end of the first it's half true. so it's not like you can just stop at the intermission you can't tell somebody just watch the first half and it's like just this rousing epic and, and you'll end cheerful no 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 they 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 don't even do that for you.
1: In fact, in my mind, it the intermission break comes earlier mm-hmm. because my brain yeah. has sought out the like perfect part to snip it and say, Yep, that's it. Movie's over. Very nice. Everybody's uh doing good. Great. Goodbye. And then you know, it continues a little bit longer and then there's the intermission and then there's the awkward second act. And it's it's all again, it's all good because it is like the ramifications of this, but it is a lot harder to watch it is a lot less fun it is the bill for the the fun stuff like it's the, literally it's a
2: subversion once again like we were yeah. subverting all the stuff we just told Yep.
4: You. And it, i believe part 2 starts when we do meet Jackson Bentley the journalist who uh Uh, has shown up in Aqaba and meets with uh, Prince Faisal, and you get your great Prince Faisal moments where, again, he totally has Lawrence
2: figured out. The mercy is a passion line. Yes. That, to me, is the one that gets me every time. Mercy is a passion. With me, it is merely good (laughs) manners. I leave it to you to
4: decide which is the
1: more reliable.
2: (laughs) Yes. So good. From
1: a certain point of view. Oh, No.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It makes me think back to earlier when he's telling out a time to be great again, my Lord. Like there's there are those ominous things that hang over this movie that this is where the ominous stuff starts to descend completely yeah. on the movie. And
1: I think it's I think it's really good because what I think the net effect is he is acting heroic and he's saying these things that you can absolutely read as heroic. But the point of the movie ultimately is no no, they're not. They're not like it's it's y- fun to read that stuff as heroic. But once you see the fallout from it, it's not. And that's 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 the lesson of Act Two of Lawrence of Arabia is all these things that feel great in the moment that are not great in the end. And that
4: that's what we're sort of introduced to once Jackson Bentley catches up with Lawrence. What they're doing is they're smashing the. The railroads that are running through Arabia, blowing them up, and then
1: uh, pillaging the the, the trains. The... Yeah, you blow up a train. Yep. So it derails. Yep. Then you fire with your machine gun until everybody on the train is dead, more or less, except yep. for the one guy who can't shoot straight. And then uh, you uh, you g- dance around and steal all their stuff. Out, uh, out, and his men run, and then cut cut up anyone who's still uh,
4: moving, and uh, take their take their clock. If there's
1: a clock, you can have it. <laughs>
4: Colonel Brighton, who is uh, accompanying Lawrence on these missions, is is uh, most distressed that the uh, that the Arab army would uh, would loot and pillage after a, a a thing. To which Ali points out, eh, "Aren't you paid? Because This is how we're yeah, paid."
2: Huh? He likes to judge a lot. Like there's a bit later where he's like, "You know, oh, I'm not. I don't get to just go home when I get what I want." And they're like, "Yeah, of course you do. It's yes. just what you want is a lot bigger than what we want."
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is one of those things about this movie that I think is is why you can view it in both of these ways. Like, there's a way to read this, which is like, oh, Lawrence, he's gone native and now he's just as horrible as all of these Arabs are destroying things. Except that uh, a lot of the people like Ali are like kind of horrified by some of the stuff that lawrence is doing and it's like so you can use that as an excuse or you can use that as a stereotype But it's like no 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 the 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 english people are doing terrible things and there are people in the arab group who are like this is not don't do this this is not a good idea but lawrence is just he's he's gone he's he's gone I mean, he
2: gets he gets shot and then he just stands there and lets the
3: guy take a bunch of pot shots that, at him oh my god mm, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he So he gets up on top of a train car, gets shot, falls off, lets the guy take the pot shots at him, and then gets on top of a train car again minutes later. <laughs> because it worked what? out so well for him the first time and that's an interesting scene too though because he's dancing around and, and in fact it's like an echo of him
2: when he first puts on the robes he yeah. does the thing where he takes the he's like holding up the robes and he's spinning around and he does that a little yeah, bit he's
3: doing the Joseph in the amazing monochromatic dream
2: coat yep. kind yep. of thing and where it's he's just
4: shot in shadow we see a shadow striding across the yes we see a shadow, yes, we see right. a shadow
2: as well oh, it doesn't and feel it was good
1: uh, this time as it did the first time does no, it no but
2: it is it yeah it does have that echo
0: <laughs> yeah and actually that's, that's an interesting point too because you know, so the, the, the guy shoots him and then he just stands there and, and waits for the guy to take several more shots at him until uh comes and kills him with a sword. And at that point, I, I kind of think, OK, here here's Jackson Bentley. And, and you know, maybe they're kind of on the same level because he just very kind of calmly and coolly says, oh, I've never seen a man killed with a sword before. And, like, <laughs> Why don't you just, take a picture? Yeah, right. Yeah. And like he's so so chill about it. But by the end of the movie, he is not chill no. about what Lawrence no. is doing. Yeah. he's lost oh, Also,
1: I mean, that's a good way to read Lawrence in that scene, too, is like I like being able to say, one, he's a he's a maniac who thinks he's God and can't be hurt.
4: Only a golden bullet can
1: kill me. Or or B, he is a death wish, right? Like it's either one. Take a pick. Take your pick. Which one is it? I, I I
3: fall much more definitively that he feels like he's bulletproof. Nothing to lose. Fire away. Fire away. Ricochet. Take aim. Fire away. Fire away. Shoot him. He won't fall. He's titanium. I, I yeah, but I can see the death
2: wish angle too. I honestly feel like that 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 there is a lot of him trying to come to grips with exactly all the you know, all the things that he has done done and maybe starting to realize that he is maybe Mm -hmm. he needs to be killed (laughs) like there is a there is a weird death wish thing in there
0: yeah i think the way it reads for me is is yes uh on the one hand he believes that you know maybe maybe the pr is right and maybe i can't be killed and if that's not true then i might as well be dead because that's all that's worth it i think
1: that's it exactly
2: Mm -hmm.
4: i lean towards the i'm bulletproof and the movie uh takes great pains from this point on to go no you're not (laughs) (laughs) yes <laughs> <'Cause laughs> immediately his, uh-uh. his his remaining servant is blown up uh-huh. as they as they try to stupidly uh keep attacking during the winter time which is uh uh not good for for uh continuing that and then we get um uh, really the troubling scene of this when they go into uh uh and i'm trying to get the pronunciation Dara. Yeah. um in Syria. We, which, again, is a Turkish garrison town. And Lawrence decides, oh, I'll just throw on some robes. No one will notice me.
2: <laughs> oh, my.
4: Yeah, he has to ask for
0: dirty robes.
3: Yeah, give me some of your dirty robes, he says. Uh, mm. And uh, yeah, uh, I historical accuracy note that I think is worth saying about uh, w- the scene that I hate most in the whole movie. Uh, This was completely fabricated. It was completely fabricated in Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Never happened. There's literally no evidence to support that this actually happened. And the scene in the movie itself has this gay panic, you know, uh, you know, rape threat, you know, sex assault thing. That is it it is one of those poisonous, disgusting tropes in literature uh, and fiction and and media and so on. And uh, and I just. For anybody who's who's like, well, it's a historical event. It actually happened. It did not happen.
2: And they bring in Jose Ferrer to play <laughs> to play this terrible character too, who is it's again just kind of a weird, fascinating decision to make, and yeah, very uncomfortable. I agree.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing I get out of it in the end is that you know, in in terms of the plot, that Lawrence decides to start a fight and get whipped rather than allowing H- Jose Ferrer to figure out who he is. Right. Aye. Like that's the, that's the most I can get out of it. But beyond that, it's just here so that Lawrence can be all sort of psychologically scarred. And yeah,
4: this, this is yeah. the, 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 this is the scene where he has his, his, uh break his psychological his break down, yeah. rank, as, it, as it were so torture 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 whip 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 uh uh he decides well that's it for me leading the the Arab army and he uh, heads on back to again headquarters uh to to beat up with with Allenby and basically uh uh resign his commission uh but Allenby wants him to be part of the big push Because the uh, British forces are going to close in on Damascus and they need the Arab army led by Lawrence to uh, be on the uh, flank to uh, uh, take uh, take the uh, uh, Turkish uh, resistance on.
2: Again, so much here that is amazing. Uh, And I think for me, the fact that he tries to go back, he still can't fit in. The 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 scene where he decides, I'm just going to try to strike up... Co- Hello, fellow soldiers. Yes.
4: <laughs> and yes, good news about the squash the
2: squash court, jolly good.
3: Oh, I say, I do like wearing these trousers. These trousers are quite trousery. Yes, <laughs> I'm very sane now, yes.
4: Not crazy at all. Haven't been whipped by Jose
1: Ferrer in an <laughs> uncomfortable scene.
2: One of my favorite bits in here, and, and this goes to Phil's point about Faisal always kind of having the measure of, uh, yes. of him is that when he comes in Faisal looks genuinely delighted to see him and he addresses him as Orens which is the name that the Arabs call him basically for this entire movie uh, and he pauses as he sees something in Lawrence's face and Lawrence doesn't really respond to him and you see his face kind of face kind of fall and say or is it Major Lawrence, right? And like, again, he isn't pegged. He knows he's torn between these two worlds and that he's like switching sort of sort of code switching back and forth between these, like being out with his, you know, the, the Arab army and being an English officer, even though he doesn't fit in either of those places. And, and, La- is and just Lawrence is just
4: saluting them to further. Uh, yes,
3: yes, yes. He, he picks up on the fact that the last bit of edge on the tip of his spear is about to go and. And he's he's having to think very tactically about whether he's going to get the final push that he wanted uh, out of using Lawrence uh, for his own purposes. And
2: I think there's genuine affection there, too. I think he likes him and he realizes that he's not it's not the person that he knew. And that yeah. is that is sad to him. Even or, it is a tactical or, or and political that he thing is, as well. That he turns but
4: turns out to be the person that he feared. That he yes, was.
0: or yeah. the fact that maybe yeah. this is part of his sadness is that he is no longer the person that uh, that Faisal knew in the first place, and that's partially Faisal's fault. So he mm. feels he feels bad about that because because he was using him, and this was you know perhaps the end that was inevitably going to happen if they kept pushing him in this direction
3: yeah and there's a trope there too where you know he's using him at first and then he gains some actual collegial affection for him and he realizes ah this is what i have wrought Mm-hmm. But he's still kind of resolves to, well, oh, I yeah. have a greater purpose that I have to care about oh, more totally. than this guy. It sucks about this guy. I kind of like this guy now. He's a cool dude. We could have gone like windsurfing or something. But mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, uh, I, you know, I have been party to completely breaking him. And and Lawrence's Lawrence, is, Lawrence is once again. He's like, no, no, you can't make me go do a war again. We'll let you go do a war and murder people in exactly all the ways you want. All the ways I want and more. <laughs> okay, I'll do a war again. <laughs> I, I do
2: think that it, it, the interesting complications of his character at, at in this scene are put on show, and I, I think again. I really love O'Toole's performance here because that bit where, you know, Allenby's like, you're, you know, you're supposed to be part of the big push. I don't want to be part of the big (laughs) push, he says, like a toddler throwing a tantrum, but he's like breaking down right in front of him (laughs) and it's, and the blood bleeding through the back of the uniform and all that. And it is, it is genuinely affecting.
0: My favorite bit is not just the fact that he's bleeding, it's Claude Rains. You know, asking for something yes. and then he turns just to get him to turn around and being like, oh, never mind. Like, so just, can that see. That was so perfectly that character. Claude Rains' character is just – I, I love him so much. That's his, mm-hmm. That is totally his subtle style. This is my favorite Claude Rains scene because it has the two great Claude Rains
4: lines about uh, – if we if we've told lies, you've told half lies, and a man who tells yes. lies like me yeah. merely seeks to conceal the truth, but a man who tells half lies like you forgot where he put it. Where he put, it. put it, and yep. then there's the the line where um, um, Jackson Bentley, Bentley. Can, confronts him yep. and goes, "Hey, is that man in trouble?" And he says of Lawrence, and Claude Rains goes, "Oh." I imagine. We all have troubles. The world, <laughs> yeah. the world is a veil of
2: trouble. But it, he's, he drags his finger along the desk and then inspects it yes. for the cleanest and then says, uh, well, one of them's half mad and the other wholly
1: unscrupulous. Holy
0: unscrupulous.
1: <laughs> and
2: it's like, which one's which? Yeah, who knows?
1: <laughs> the, uh, I, I like uh, as uh, it, uh, some of us here did some journalism, right? There's the moment like what goes on in that room? He says, oh, nothing. Sure. Yep. No comment. Yep. No
4: nothing. There's nothing going on in there. All right. So it's time for the big push. And Lawrence has gone back to his Allenby says his Arab friends,
3: I do not have Adam Saint
2: <laughs> Of course the playing up the God complex, right? Because the best of them will not come for money. And he stops in front of the picture of a saint, Jesus, I don't know, and says, They'll come for me, right? And like <sighs> if you got one perfect shot in this movie, it might actually be that of him like beaming in fr- like kind of maniacally in front of this picture.
4: And then cutting to a scene of him riding in surrounded by his bodyguards as people chant his name name you know and uh but all the people all the bodyguards are men with prices on their heads and um ali is is fairly disgusted by him
1: but this is so this is a moment where i I would say this is why this movie is so great Mm -hmm. or one of the reasons why this movie is so great is it is the movie in which the hero returns to heroically to battle for the final battle and everybody's excited to see him and they chant his name right that happens that is a, that is like a trope. That is a thing you kind of expect it to happen, except when it happens here, mm,
4: right? deeply like, uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable. uncomfortable,
1: and that's yeah. the brilliance of this it movie. It would be it's like, like the no. Rocky movie
4: where Rocky comes back to the ring and is all, "I hate everyone. <laughs> 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 all of you suck." I- well, Man, Omar, I
2: most of all. Oh. Hey, Omar Sharif's, uh, again, I, I love Omar Sharif in this, and I think so he good. only gets better mm-hmm. as it goes. And the moment where he's talking to Bentley and he says, like, he offered me money. And mm-hmm. he just, you see how you see deeply wounded. Uh, deeply yeah. wounded he is, though, too, right? He took care of him. He nursed him back to health after the thing in Dara. And mm-hmm. he's
3: just like, he doesn't know who I am anymore. He's, like, he's
2: treating me like yeah. I'm just a, a mercenary.
3: Yeah. He's he's clawing for those last vestiges of the man he became friends forever with comrades in arms with this man he he thought he not only saw as a as a peer, as an equal, but as a brother. He he's just clawing for the last vestiges of that person that is left. And he, he doesn't know what else he can do to get that version of this guy back.
0: Yeah, I mean Omar Sharif may have said in interviews, you know, this movie shouldn't exist because there's no romance. I object to that because (laughs) look at this scene. I will second the motion
3: on the table. This bromance is hot as hell. I actually agree.
0: Call me Shipper Trash if you want.
2: I'm fine. The, the, The scene with him nursing him back to health is it feels I mean, that that is certainly the subtext of their relationship, I feel like. Maybe not realized fully in text, but hard to argue that there's not subtext there.
1: What's left, Phil? On
4: we push to Damascus, but before we get there, there's a Turkish column that's in retreat, having uh, uh, ravaged through a village.
3: Hey, Phil, this this is where our poor favorite guy Talal, Talal, Talal. who we've been following the (laughs) whole film, whose name we've known the whole time. Oh yeah, sure.
4: Oh, this was Talal's village. You know Talal. We just, just <laughs> were introduced to him seconds ago. You
3: guys know Talal. From down the block. You guys know Talal, all his jokes and japes. Oh.
4: So anyhow, uh, this was Talal's village, and Talal rides at the Turkish column, and of course is shot. So that's when uh, uh, Lawrence screams out the, the, no prisoners! And they, <laughs> they charge, and uh, they uh, basically, as the Turks are trying to surrender, Lawrence and his, uh, and his army uh, cut him to ribbons. Yep. And uh, it's it's basically their their little massacre.
2: Once again, we get the echo right when uh, when he's first given the robes, he admires his reflection in his dagger, mm-hmm. um, and again does that here. But this time, he is covered with blood, which again feels very Shakespearean. From this, you know <laughs> the, the Macbeth comparison again seems seems pretty up there. But like, yeah, so we've we've connected this with that moment, and yet it's the total. It's the total and other reversal, right? Like, Ali enters this movie as a murderer and lawrence is on that high horse of um, none of my friends is a murderer and now lawrence is shooting unarmed people people who are surrendering and ali is the one trying to pull him back from the brink looking horrified
0: and this is the exact proof that you know when you're talking about faisal saying that with major lawrence mercy is a passion with me it's merely good manners you may judge which you know is the more reliable obviously it ain't passion because <laughs> there goes mercy no.
2: he had a lot of passion in murdering people too apparently
0: i guess and uh
4: that robe does not get washed the rest of this picture it is yep. gonna stay <laughs> it is gonna stay blood stained until it is until it is stripped off him so uh um and and here we get another uh great moment in the picture such as it were where we we are surveying the wreckage when jackson bentley pulls up and uh uh sees everyone that Lawrence is essentially murdered, and uh let me take your lousy picture for the lousy papers. And it's yep. it's a uh, th- this is the I think the payoff of the the second act really.
2: Well, and and it has Ali again, right? He is he is confronting him with a stereotype. What happened? Is, surely you know the Arabs are a barbarous people, barbarous Oof. and cruel. Who but they? He yeah. says, you know, voice dripping yeah. with irony, and and again. The subversion, right? Like it's a, the reason we are still talking about this is doesn't present that the worst crimes here are committed by Lawrence. Uh And it is it is
3: devastating. You,
4: you could end the picture here and it would be uh mm. it would be quite uh, uh, fine in my in I mean, my view.
3: He's he's gone from from inhabiting the robes to the robes are cosplay at this point. He is he is masquerading as something that he is not. And it's just cloth. It's not, it's not, you know, the fabric of his spirit and his connection to these people. And it, it is that fascinating twist on the, you know, savage people and so on. And, I think some of it is was completely unintentional and unconscious because we're looking at this fifty plus years later, where the depictions of some of these people, besides being historically inaccurate, where some of some of Auda's people, some of the various people that that served under Lawrence during this Arab revolt, were wearing uniforms and they were not all you know dressed in, exclusively in robes, and you know they 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 were not as depicted in this movie. And, and it's it's interesting that, that that kind of subtext unintentionally ends up sticking up for the movie better in, in retrospect than than it necessarily did based on the historical fact um, where it's it's meta commentary that that that's in there uh, to a certain extent because of the passage of time and the change in attitudes and perspective on various things where they weren't directly commenting on. Some parts of the depiction, uh, intentionally at all.
1: Okay, what's next? (laughs) Well,
4: what is it? Nothing
3: good, nothing good. No,
4: no, it's all uh, guys trying to get their payments now. So, they the Arab army makes it to Damascus before uh, Allenby's army does, and they set up a provisional government. Uh, something that they are um, not really skilled at, and something that they are further uh, hampered by because. Uh, General Allenby begins to show some real... uh, The the real
2: begins to emerge. (laughs) He's not a politician, Phil. I'm not not a a
4: politician, politician. thank God, but I'm not going to lift a finger to help anyone in this. And eventually, it will all end in disaster. And then we'll swoop in and and knock the Arab army out of... The Arab provisional government out of control, which is exactly what happens. Uh, In particular, because the uh, water gets cut off uh, fires break out the hospital with wounded people in it is uh uh over overcrowded and ill-served and uh um it all is uh, falling at lawrence's feet
2: interesting portrayal here in a couple places they've got the scene where alibi is practicing his fishing mm-hmm. uh, yes. and dryden's reading his book and brighton i was reading an interesting bit where they suggested that lean and and anthony uh quail disagreed on on brighton as a character with with lean thinking he was you know maybe the most honorable person in the film and quail thinking he was an idiot basically (laughs) but this is a scene where he if not quite shows backbone you get the idea that this is distasteful to him that Mm -hmm. they are standing here and not helping out um all of these troubles as the city burns and has no electricity and no water and he's kind of fed up but he's not in a position to really do anything about it because Allenby's his boss and Allenby is doing all this political maneuvering.
4: And so that is the uh basically the end of uh uh Lawrence's time in Arabia. He has uh, one final scene with uh, both Outa and Ali, who are kind of, who throughout the film, have, um, if you want to break it down into the its worst cliche, have kind of been the angel and devil on his shoulder. Um, although really, by the end, Lawrence is his own devil. Yeah. <laughs> with Outa going, ah, "Come with me, Lawrence. We'll ride and have adventures." And uh Ali deciding he's going to stay and try and become a politician. There's a nice little scene between Anthony Quinn and uh Omar Sharif where they 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 basically talk about Lawrence how how he's unknowable, how uh he hates himself. Uh uh again, coming closest outside of Faisal to being the the, the characters who actually uh figure out what's going on with lawrence Uh, the
2: scene with omar sharif walking through the darkness and you see him then he has the tears streaming down his face is perhaps one of my favorite moments in this entire film Mm -hmm. he just i like the depth of the feeling and how crushed ali is to see this person that he again that we sort of talked about before that he thought was his brother that he could pull back from the brink and he's nope He's dead. Yeah. That guy is gone. gone. And Ollie is like inconsolable at this point. And I, I love that last scene with him and Anthony Quinn, because it just, it really resonates.
4: Yeah. And, uh, uh, we, we get another, uh, scene that I enjoy, which again mm. is Lawrence, uh, back in his full military uniform. He's been promoted full Colonel, uh, so he can get a, a room to himself on the ship back home. Uh, B is thanking him for his service. Uh, Faisal's there and said, what, what I owe you, I could never say. And the minute Lawrence uh, leaves the room, it is the let's bitch about Lawrence session. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is, but that that that's another Brighton moment that I like quite a bit where, you know, he's, Faisal's saying he's a, he's a double-edged sword. Lawrence where...
4: is a sword with two edges. We are both glad to be rid of him.
0: Exactly. And Brighton just gets up and hightails it. If you, it's you like, excuse
3: y- me, sir, <laughs> <laughs> I have some mm-hmm. acting to do with capital
2: letters. <laughs> I like the Faisal bit because you know he starts talking, but Lawrence is gone already. He left before yeah. Faisal finishes his sentence, and that yeah. is again sort of like he cannot stand to be in that room. Uh, it is really just the uncomfort everywhere
4: i also love how alec guinness switches from talking about lawrence and to immediately going now let's get down to talking about business so yeah uh, Yeah. i get to keep my flag over the waterworks and you get this and i get that and and alan b who is not a politician thank god uh begins to (laughs) negotiate as well and it's it's a um it's a it's a nice little moment where uh uh dirty bastards do their dirty d de- deals and uh i i very much enjoy it
2: we also i mean it's also a weird scene right because it's got faisal's kind of kind of like mocking him slash letting him off the hook he pines for the gothic cottages of surrey was it right and he's like <laughs> what uh-huh. when would he ever like that makes no sense but at the same time he's kind of just trying to be like hey, I, you know you gotta go your time is done here I'm gonna let you I'm gonna like throw you this softball to let you get out of here. Yeah. And uh it's it's weird, but also kind of, you know, it's Faisal's political maneuvering again.
0: Mm-hmm. And he realizes he's all used up. Like there's, yep. th- there's there's no reason to keep him anymore. So yeah, send him to Surrey.
1: Well that's the that's the what he says. This is the time for the for it's not time for warriors or whatever he says, but it very clearly it's it's you're not needed
2: here, you're done. This is not your place
1: anymore. Yeah. It's young men make damage.
0: war and the virtues of war are the virtues of young men, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah.
2: The dual scene that we kind of glossed over, the, the scene where he goes to the hospital and mm. he's looking at all the wounded Turks and then the British medical officers who have been trying to insist to Allenby that they need to take over because this is unconscionable. They come in and they, the officer in charge accosts him assuming that he is an Arab that smack across the face was real good yeah mm-hmm. Lawrence cracks basically at this point right he starts like laughing hysterically he gets smacked and then 10 minutes later when he's coming out in uniform from having you know been dismissed by Faisal and Allenby the same guy comes up yeah. to him and it's like ah oh Colonel Lawrence I'd love to shake your hand and everything just to say I have and and Lawrence Lawrence is Lawrence recognizes him have and says have, have we met and he's like oh no i would remember that right i i don't think i realized until i watched it this time that it was the same dude and we
0: see <laughs> him in the first
4: scene of the movie he's the guy yep. who gets angry when uh, jackson ben oh Hayden yes something yeah. His yeah it's a the, hell of a thing when the Flash thompson wants.
3: slaps peter parker across the face and then sees spider-man later <laughs> so the last shot of the movie i'd like to talk huh. about
4: because i always hated yeah. it until i was having a conversation with my wife about it having watched it this time because he's He's riding. Um, he's riding in the the truck, going to the boat to take him home. He passes a uh, uh, a group of uh, of uh, uh, Bedouins on on camels, and oh, do I know anyone there? Oh, we're just gonna go by. And then a guy on a motorcycle passes him. And my problem with that was always it was like David Ling going, ah, ah, he's gonna die <laughs> on a motorbike, eh. <laughs> ah. But um uh my, my wife, Lisa Schmeizer from from other better <gasps> podcasts. I had no I'd idea. No, it's a shocking <laughs> reveal. It's a it's a la third act reveal. Um <laughs> She says, "No, no, it's 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 him. He can't. He's his pat. His future is appearing before him, and he can't. It, that that's the direction he's going. That's he. He's always going to be trying to recapture those moments in the desert where he uh, had the high of 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 leading all these people and all this adventure and and all this uh, this heroism. And it, it will eventually be the thing that destroys him. And I thought, eh, okay, I can see. It's that. literally mm-hmm.
2: all he has left. Yeah, that is the." end like that is his life i I agree like it's it doesn't matter nothing between basically what we're being told is there is nothing between this moment and the moment that we see him die at the beginning of the movie that is of any import whatsoever
1: Yep. yep that's cold which is funny because the truth is he like kept joining other services of of the british military under assumed names to work on like airplanes and stuff like that like (laughs) until they would figure out who he was and they would drum him out like but you know it's that moment with any i would say any historical figure right where or and you know lots of people where there's like you've already done the thing that everybody's gonna remember you for this the, the chapter that everybody remembers of you is over now this is it that's it and and yeah the motorcycle i mean first off g- good job david lean uh, assuming that people are going to remember what happened three hours ago <laughs> <laughs> there's no like black and white cut to flashback oh oh but it, it's like no you just need to remember it started with a motorcycle crash and here we are at the end and there's a, there's a motorcycle death looms the end <laughs> It's, uh, but I, I like it. I like it because it's not—it's meaningful without being like schmaltzy, super heavy-handed to me. It's sort of like that's—that's that's the future passing him by in that moment.
4: No, I—I've I, grown to not hate it like I used to. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> all
2: right, okay. It's almost anticlimactic. I mean, I understand why it feels weird. Like, right, we've got that guy sitting next
3: to him. Well. Going home, sir. Home, right? sir.
4: Like <laughs> oh, I envy you.
3: You've seen a whole lot of mm-hmm. real English guys, but now we're going home. It
2: seems like it should be more, though, right? Like it kind of ends with the and and I think that's that's appropriate for the story that's being told here. But I can understand why it seems anticlimactic. Yeah,
3: I I, I, I am really glad that there wasn't the the thing that is it's one of those standard biopic tropes of title cards with a bunch of reading to do.
4: Senator Blutarsky and wife went on to, there are books for (laughs) that.
3: exactly. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that we didn't have that. And it's, it's unique even, even among David Lean epics in that it has this, this weird cyclical, um, you know, uh, patterns of life and fate thing. It's, it's almost, it's almost, more along the poetic lines of the way that and Pressburger made their movies than what you're used to with other David Lean pictures where his stuff is a bit more straight ahead. And, and this, 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 I don't know, almost French ending, uh, kind of a thing, uh, where he just leaves it it is something that the first time I saw it, I remember going, huh. Okay. All right, whatever. (laughs) And, and over time it's grown on me a
0: lot. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think it's, for me, it, it de- definitely left me feeling, huh, but I felt like that, huh, Left so much space for the rest of the movie to really sort of expand in my head and for me to sort of ruminate over the whole experience that I had just (laughs) lived through in these, you know, four ish hours. And had there been some sort of a button on the end of it, I think that that would have sort of closed off my thought processes. And because it was left sort of so open, uh, that I was able to process the movie in in a much more effective and honestly truly emotional way than I would have had they ended it any other way
3: it really makes you wash yourself in all of the stuff that you just saw and it it, it drives you toward taking it contemplatively where you know I, I see this thing at least once a year generally just the once that's enough <laughs> um but there there are different little aspects of it different little things that i take with me on each viewing or things that that stick more prominently for me um and it it It, uh, you know, it it takes more of the aspect of a painting where I I just kind of see something different in the in the flex of paint. And it it uh, it, I I found that the way that the ending is just kind of leaves it there, gives it that kind of breathing room uh, where I, I think that's part of why I appreciate the movie as much as I do. And it only grows in esteem for me year after year. If you want to read about not just the racism in this movie, but the racism in a ton of other movies that depict Arabs, uh, there's a a wonderful book by the uh, dearly uh, departed uh, Dr. Jack Shaheen called Real with two E's, R-E-E-L, Bad Arabs, uh, that that I highly, highly recommend to folks that maybe you didn't grow up aware of some of the really prejudicial and not great stuff in movies that you love, movies that Disney doesn't put on Disney Plus, uh, you know, the things that 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 later in life you you come to a more uh full understanding of um but that that's specific to that particular thing and then specific to lawrence in general uh lawrence in arabia war to imperial folly and the making of the modern middle east uh by scott anderson is right. uh is really fantastic
1: yeah our friend uh helene wecker who wanted to be here and couldn't be here definitely said that she would have spent the whole uh Uh, thing, talking about how much she loves the movie and how much is wrong with the history and quoting from that book. So you, Lawrence in Arabia.
2: I'll just say, just to wrap things up, I think it's impossible to divorce the, the movie from history entirely, but I think it is worth viewing the movie as a thing that stands on its own two legs. And I think it's hard not to acknowledge that even with its flaws, especially viewed from the modern day, that there is quite a lot in here that is just uh, still stuff to wrestle with stuff that really uh, engenders a lot of conversation as we've just demonstrated, you know, mm-hmm. about a year, about a, a a movie that is over 50 years old. Um, and especially, you know, in, in a world so still suffused with war and conflict uh, stuff that people are still dealing with the, the impacts of this. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting uh parable about uh, any any number of things depending on kind of how you want to interpret it but I, I do i really appreciate the the shakespearean scope and epic of it i think that as a portrait of a essentially a person's des- descent or or kind of wavering up and ab- uh, like above and below the, the 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 horizon of madness uh it's kind of just a fascinating work of of psychological um studies and just self aggrandizement the great man theory all of this stuff that's kind of uh stuff that we still debate it's just it's like like moises said i think every time i watch it i still sort of take something new away from it
1: fortunately we don't live in a world anymore where western powers are squabbling over who's gonna be in control of syria so no. that's good Oh yeah. God, right. no. yeah, solve that one fiction <sighs> yeah yeah, no, no, Dan. I think the the whole mythology of it—that is the beauty of it, right? Is it is the the great man and the the myth making, and then the myth making kind of falling apart, and the reality of that, like the geography of the of of where the the hero has to go, and and it, it, yeah, yeah. It's all in that, that that's, dis-
2: deconstructionist bent that that's right? It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: Yes, it's yeah, basically it what it, what what if the man who shot Liberty Valance, but he's a jerk. Oh wait, you're right, Moises. It is a western. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know what? I think we, I think we, I think we definitively classify this movie as a western, and everyone who thinks it isn't is wrong.
1: We yep. solved it, and that's what we did tonight. We we did it, everybody. All right, and then I'm going to wrap it up here for the old movie club. I'm glad we finally did this. I've had this on the list, as Dan knows, for. Years now, but we finally did it. We cleared one off the list before the end of 2019. Yeah. Now the list is clean. And I got to see it in 4K (laughs) HDR on on my TV, and it looked great. It is is a classic and worth watching. And if you've never, if you'll hear people talk about it, you've never watched it, take it from Erica. You can even enjoy it on VHS on a 17 inch TV, although I don't recommend it. No, Uh, I'd like to. No, I don't want to disagree with Erica, but she's wrong. (laughs) I'd like to. It just sweeps you away. Uh, I'd like to thank my guests for being here to talk about this classic
2: film dan morin thank you thank you jason what i owe you is beyond evaluation
0: you stole mine
3: (laughs) (laughs) thank (laughs) you the cover of the first public printing of seven pillars of wisdom uh holds the proverb the sword also means cleanness and death erica ensign thank you
0: jason you tread heavily but
1: you speak the truth i am erica ensign (laughs) and philip michaels thank you as always you know jason i think this podcast has been a sword with two edges
4: we're both (laughs) glad to be rid of it
1: (laughs) and uh, thank you to everybody out there for listening to this episode of the incomparable what's that coming this way oh no it's a motorcycle we will see you next god we're
4: all doomed (laughs) Let's talk about the second movie that we watched, what, which is what? Battle
1: oh, of Algiers, no. a sprightly
4: two hours. Uh,
3: yes, uh, War and Peace. Uh, oh, oh, all seven and a half hours of War and Peace. Quite thrilling. Uh, we didn't double this with Bridge on the River Kwai? No? Eric
4: von Stroheim's Greed, we will now discuss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too easy. Wow.